GPS. Powered by SET. Hello and welcome to Line Noise. We have a special double edition today around the release of Trip City, an acid house novel by Trevor Miller, first released in 1989 and now being re-released by Velocity Press. Trip City is not just a brilliant novel in itself, highly original and genuinely transportive. It also comes with a five-track EP by a guy called Gerald, one of the most important producers in British dance music history. For this special edition of Line Noise, I first talked to Gerald, asking him about Acid House, Jungle and everything in between. Then I talked to Trevor, the book's author, about creating the ultra-vivid world of Trip City. Today we welcome to Radio Primavera Sound Gerald Simpson, better known as a guy called Gerald. One of the most important features, uh, figures in British dance music history, um, a man who wrote at least two eternal house music classics and then helped to create Jungle. Gerald, how are you doing? Oh, not bad. Thank you. I'm all right. <laughs> pretty chilled out. Nice day. You look day. pretty chilled. You look pretty chilled. <laughs> so, so we're talking um, because of Trip City, which is uh, Trevor Miller's book that you wrote the soundtrack to, or an EP that accompanies it, certainly. How did that come about? Um, well, it was kind of like back in the day, like when everything was kind of, I'll try this, I'll try that. <laughs> and um, like studio-wise, I, I mean, I, I'd do anything to get in the studio. It was any excuse. And um, I was, at first, I wasn't really taking it like as seriously as like um, I thought it, you know, like I knew it was going to be, but like uh, when they kind of mentioned it was like about like the club club life and what, you know, like it was like a fictional character, but it was kind of based loosely on what was kind of happening in the kind of dark catacombs of like the London clubbing scene. I was like, sounds interesting, you know what I mean? It sounds like something I could kind of relate to what was going on in certain parts of Manchester at the time. And uh, yeah, the music was kind of loosely based around what I felt like in, in Manchester back then. So yeah, that was basic, that was what um, I wanted to, to express. And at that time, I don't know, we were like, it was sending feelers out into different formats. And, you know, I mean, I, I was definitely feeling like a music, stroke visual thing you know that but it was even before that you know it was like there was no real kind of well there was like say like kind of really no real dance music at that time apart from like you know it was well it wasn't really video dance music with videos or anything so it was a nice kind of way to kind of show music with interaction of something else so like the, the actual the book kind of helped to to, vis to create like a visual or you know, like a visualization of what um the club scene was kind of changing into or going through at the time had you read the book when you made the music or did you just um, no no the, actually the the it only existed in like um, like a, a rough form at that time, so I was I was reading like what I had, like I mean he sent like me this manuscript thing and like basically so I, I kind of would scan through that 
and find like, oh yeah, this part here was like about Valentine. So like I would have to kind of create like a really kind of, not gangstery, but like uh, a kind of, it was like the soundtrack, you know what I mean? So I had to kind of create like a soundtrack of, or a theme tune for this person. And the, the whole Trip City thing kind of came from, from that too. You know, the, the actual tune, Trip City soon, and it was like um, this kind of like made up drug thing called FX, and that was basically, yeah, you know, I had to kind of create like a. I mean, at, at first I wanted to do something a little, a little bit more kind of trippy, you know what I mean? But you know, it was very limited to what gear I was using at the time. And uh, it was, I mean, I wanted something more delays and echoes and whatever, but, you know, but like, you know, the name FX, you know, and like, it was just like, cool. I'm just, at the time, like a sampler was like a big deal, you know? So I kind of used like this the sample to create like a, like this vibe, but, you know, it was supposed to be like a trippy vibe. Well, FX is one of the most interesting songs because I heard FX, the song, before before I read the book. And it, it was quite a strange song. Like, it seemed sort of slightly disjointed and it had what sounds like samples from, like, some really well-known rave tunes. And I was... Well, if you look at the date of the... Uh, if you look at the date of the... When it was made, it was made before the well-known rave tunes. <laughs> oh, that's a very good point. Yeah, uh, they kind of came afterwards. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> Which but, kind of, it was like you know, it was kind of like a the, the the thing like samples at that time were like kind of very limited and like really. So I, I wasn't surprised that somebody else was going to be using it again, actually, but. Like in exactly the same similar or similar way, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, it was it was like a little bit before the the kind of black box thing, and a little bit before I think Moby used similar yeah. samples too. Uh, what, so. what did you think when you heard the Moby tune? Because that was a big, big tune. Did you think I could have maybe used that sample a bit more or something? Um, no, I kind of. Yeah, I was, I was, I think by, by the time I heard the Moby thing, I was, I was already moving on, to, you know, I was more into kind of creating like break beats and stuff. So I, I but um, yeah, it was, I mean, it was interesting though. It was uh, interesting that, you know, it made me open my ears up to more, more of what you could do with like the sounds and stuff, you know? So, yeah, I mean, uh, if I could have gone back in time, I would have not used any of that stuff and just used more synths. But like, because the sampler was a big deal, <laughs> I kind of went with the sampler thing. <laughs> Is FX like an attempt to basically recreate that, what it feels like to be on FX, this, this designer drug? Cause that's yeah. what I got. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like basically like I, I wanted, you know, I was thinking that it would be kind of like a, a something that would create like a, a staggered kind of effect, like a, you know, and would, you know, you would be, you know, be full of, you know, some kind of weird energy that, 
I don't know, would, you know, make you, like, have, you know, things would speed up for you and and all this kind of stuff, you know what I mean? I, I had my own visions of what I, I mean, I, you know, I didn't know, obviously no one's really taken night effects. So <laughs> it was like, how would you know, you know, what to, what to, so that was my kind of like painting, like sonic painting of what the drug would have been, I suppose. Uh, no, I think it works really, really well, really well with, I mean, by itself and it works really well with the book. Um, so you, uh, did you think about people listening to this music while while they read the book? Or did you think of it as, you know, you'd read the book, then listen to the music and they'd sort of be complimentary? Um, I actually thought of them listening to the music meanwhile they're reading the book. I mean, like it was, for me, that, that's kind of, how I envisioned it like being like a, a kind of, what do you call it? Like a interactive experience, you know, like, but pre, pre-internet, you know, like, you know, it was like something where you would, you know, it was no, there was actually, there was no DVDs, there was nothing. I mean, we had video tape, <laughs> but yeah, it was basically, it was, uh, for me, it was like, oh, you know, you'd be able to read the the book, and like the book was kind of like in almost like four four time. It was like you know there would be a, a sentence, and then it'd be like it's like stop, 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 and like I was like, if I could get a rhythm out of that to go with like you know the the music. So like if you read along with the music, you would basically get. Um, like an idea of how it was written, you know what I mean? Or, you know, almost like the, the music would be like a, a timing ruler for you to, you know, for you to read. But I, I don't know, it was loosely, loosely on that, you know what I mean? I was, I was more kind of interested in the content of what was going on than, than that. But like that, when, when I actually kind of, because I've never seen anything written like that before, so actually yeah it was that was something that struck me about how it was written the the trip city soundtrack was released as a cassette right with the book um mm. and there was also uh, a 12 inch or a couple of 12 inches with with tracks off it but um we like i can't work out was it was it quite widely did a lot of people have a copy at the time or was it was it quite rare or um i i just remember when they released it, um, I didn't hear of it or see of it for a while, maybe like about seven or eight years or even. You know, it was just like, okay, well, that's done kind of thing. And I'd kind of, you know, I'd basically moved into doing my own thing and like my, you know, my main kind of course of work was like mainly doing break beats and like jungle and stuff like that. So it kind of, you know, and was always looking for new ways of doing stuff and, you know, like the CD burning thing kind of came out just in the middle of cutting plates and I was in uh, like, wow, I can do this and, do, you know, and my, my head went straight and you know, I was like writing at the computers, didn't really, uh, so, but it was just like late, later on and, and um, I think I was at Eastern Block in, in Manchester and I asked him, um, 
about it and they went, oh yeah, we've got a few copies down in the basement. And I went and they had like, I don't know, they must have bought like a load of them. And they had like a box full of like this Strip City. And I was like, wow. So maybe they didn't really sell like, you know, they, they thought they were going to do. And like, you know, I think because like the, the thing is cassette, I think maybe put people off. You know, people were kind of, you know, like, you know, going towards, it was like the CD thing, you know, like, and like, so if it would have been on a CD, it probably would have, they would have been able to sell more of them because the cassette format was kind of going out of date. But like now it's, I mean, like if they were going to sell that in that format today, you know, they would have got rid of loads of them because it was a nice package, you know, like the book and the, it was all in a thing, you know, no, people are into the cassettes now. And the, the, the reason I ask that is because I think, I mean, it's all really good, but Trip City, I think, particularly, for me, is one of the best things you, you've ever done. I think that's an amazing song. And, um, yeah, I, I just think it's interesting that it, it was, you know, it was released on a cassette and, and you know, I didn't hear it for, you know, I haven't heard it till today. It's, it's great to hear it. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, it was... Strange times and all, because I I, I was um, I had all sorts of different things I was kind of running around doing and and lost contact with like different people and, and stuff and you know it was yeah it was it was a hard kind of time to connect with I mean I was my main thing was mainly studios you know I mainly wanted to kind of work in the studio and like my, my thing was to try and push this music on and like, you know I was excited more about the music than, than like the the kind of commercial success or whatever you know and that kind of I suppose that did a lot of people in at the time I was like you know wanting to you know I was exci really excited about where the technology was going with the music and like how we was able to sample beats and then like edit and cut and transfer it into a totally different thing and you know I suppose I spent a lot of energy in in that rather than looking at how you would go for the latest the next hit record and then I and also I, I noticed in the yeah the industry uh, music industry wise I saw a few holes in what was happening and, you know and it was just it was just pre the MP3 thing, but you could see it happening because like people were beginning to be able to record at home, which was a big deal. And then you could see the emergence of like, um, like digital recording, like at a cheaper rate and stuff like that. And like all these things, you know, I mean, I was looking at all this stuff like, wow, you know, like, and then the, you know, it was, just on the cards what was going to happen uh, with the music and it was I mean for me like being in the music industry at the lower end of it like you know more like the DIY it was it was basically was it was a celebration that, that the whole Napster thing happened because at the same time I had like a load of problems with like like high-end music industry people and you know it was you know, it was great to see them having to cut their ponytails off. <laughs> <laughs>
But you, you also had a label, though. Was it not a bit harsh, you know? No, not at all, because, like, I, I mean, like, basically, it took me ages to get this label thing together. And, like, I was, I mean, more or less, I was, I, I was wanting my music to be heard more than anything. And, like, the actual system of this thing, um, the nature of it made it possible so that that music could be everywhere, you know, at the same time, you know. And that for me was more, I mean, like if if I was ever treated like even 30% right by the music industry, then maybe I would have been pissed off. I would have been like, oh, you're affecting my sales. But like, if you never had any sales, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> then it was like, well, you know, wow. Like what's the next best thing to like, you know, having your music is like having your music out there for other people. You know, if you're earning exactly the same, nothing, you know, <laughs> at least like if you, if you had enough to basically to compensate like the, the manufacturing so you could, you know, spread the word. And at the time, you know, it was like the word needed kind of spreading, you know, especially because it was like a new kind of genre of music and stuff. So it was, it was nice that to, to see that, that image kind of emerge and, and yeah, and it kind of stuck it to the man, you know, because like yeah. I was basically, I mean, I, I'd had enough of of these like major record labels and, you know, I guess they had enough of people like me too. <laughs> but it, it feels a bit like, and I might be wrong, but like back in 1989, you know, when, when this came out, the sort of music was kind of just flowing out of you. I'm not saying it was easy to make because obviously it wasn't, but it just feels like there was so much inspiration. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, like, the, I mean, I was kind of glowing from like what was happening in like Chicago and Detroit. You know, I, I totally um, absorbed that that energy, and like it, it, it felt like you know that 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 was the way forward for for, for music. You know, like um, being able to, like, have your own kind of situation going on. You know, and being independent in a way. You know, I mean, even even um, when I had actually signed to, to to like a major, when I signed to to like um, Sony, um, like CBS or whatever it is. You know, like I had my own imprint as Subscape. You know, like I, I didn't. I kind of, I, like, the whole idea was that, you know, like, it would be, um, the music is for a smaller kind of sector of, of you know, more specialists, you know what I mean? Wasn't even looking at house music or whatever, uh, or as, like, a major uh, player in, in, in anything, you know what I mean? It was like, so, you know, I mean, I, I wasn't looking at taking it there. I was looking at it at, Looking at looking at it as basically making something that was for like these little pockets of communities, you know, and like you know, it was interesting because they were like hot houses and like they were places where things developed without having to basically answer to anyone, you know, like or answer to anyone, you know. Because I, I remember one incident where um, it was. It was late, a bit later on where we started to, you know, 
Well, the, the the whole dub plate situation was happening from from like day one with like reggae tunes and stuff. But like um like jungle kind of like grew up in that kind of environment. And like one of the things was like pressing dubs for the DJs to play, you know, like specials. You know, that would that was how you kind of encouraged them to to pl play your music. Was you would give them like a one-away tune or a one-off mix of a certain tune or whatever. And I kind of because I was on a major, I wasn't able, I wasn't legally able to give them like masters of things that weren't recorded and i wanted you know that was one of the, the arguments i had with like this this um label you know with, with sony kind of thing it was like i basically where my music where i wanted it to be played was like in this environment in this club environment i wasn't really interested in like the chart thing because you know they never get really gave me any incentive to be <laughs> interested in that kind of thing and you know my music was totally different to that anyway you know my music came from like the club environment and it was basically based on the development of that environment um and yeah so i i uh yeah i i kind of wanted sony to to give me the right to to give my you know music to like the you know the the jungle kind of fraternity, you know. I mean, I I wanted I wanted um my music to be open to 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 that. Not just them, but like basically, you know, the the people who I thought were like special DJs who were pushing things like the tastemakers and that. And like you know, they, you know, I'm sure they they did that on their level. You know, they gave promos to radio DJs and all this kind of thing. But like they just wouldn't agree. You know, they. They kept on quoting to me this thing in my contract saying that I wasn't allowed to give like stuff out. So um in the end, like we I don't know what happened, but like we kind of had to go our separate ways. And yeah, I was allowed to then give my music to people that I wanted to give it to. Um yeah, the yeah, the the whole kind of plate thing, like, you know, like totally helped. Like the the jungle situation, like you know, it helps with pirate radio stations, and pirate radio stations helps promo that you know. And it was nice to actually see the development of something like fresh and new from from the get go. You know, I mean, I, I I'd kind of seen like that from afar, like the, the acid house thing and the techno thing in in America, like from Detroit and from like New York and Chicago. I'd actually never been in in something like that, and like being into that in in the jungle thing, it was like amazing to watch how it, it kind of grew and like you know, and I could see it firsthand how it you know it was growing, and I wasn't really interested in I suppose in the chart type things, you know. I mean, I found this more local, more moving more exciting you know what i mean like whereas the other thing was about how, how many kind of things you could sell before you could go on a tour and all this kind of thing and how much tour was going to cost and i was like that's you know i'm i'm more studio than that you know what i mean i could go from studio to 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 club development you know what i mean i, I 
I was more in that level, which was not as big as the tour thing. But I had I I literally jumped off into tour, you know, like from from being like doing what I was doing in my bedroom to basically touring all over the world, and then like realizing, like looking at the little bits and pieces in that, and thinking that is, you know, I can see what they tried to push me into, and you know. No, they, I think, yeah, they were better off with like the, the kind of black boxes and all that kind of thing. Going back to Trip City, like, where do you see it in your kind of catalogue of music? Does it have like a specific place for you? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's um, kind of, po it's post like the, the kind of um, acid thing in a way, you know, because I was kind of focusing on that a lot. And it's just post that where I, I kind of wanted to experiment more with like synths and I was, it was pre-sampler. So I, I kind of wanted, you know, it was like where I was, kind of you know like it was like that period of time where i'm trying to experiment with like what what i had there you know what i mean it was like how can i you know now change this you know how can i morph this just from like just being just like 303 and, and 808 you know what i mean and 909 how can you know like move more towards a song so it was it was pre like um, automatic, it was like in a, it was a little period in between automatic and and like um, the, the old school acid things where uh, I was kind of edging out of like just just like the the sequenced like um, sync sequenced like um, drum machine baseline thing. You know what I mean? I wanted I wanted more to, to add more elements. Um, I wanted wanted to had like strings to things you know builds and and stuff like that. so it was, it, was, it was that it was that um pre automatic post like acid for me you know it was that that little little pocket of time where i actually had access to a a, a studio you know that was like i could record like 16 tracks <laughs> at a time and treat things with like, you know, I had a bank of outboard like um, gear so I could like experiment more with like the spatial awareness of, of you know. So it, it's a nice, it was a nice school. It was, it, it was a exercise of where things were, were going to, you know. I, I can like, what in, in the anthology, it was, it was stepping out of the, there's just the sequence, like, like the acid sequence, and moving more into something that was kind of like a mutant techno for me. You know, it was like you know, being able to use strings and like um, early early sampler type stuff. You know what I mean? It helped, and um, yeah, like a bit, little bit of vocally type things in there because. I had to have like the content from the the um, 
the book kind of like kind of floating in and out of the the, the musical system of what it was. So yeah, it was nice. It was a it was a nice kind of stepping offshore into into like another reality in a way. You know, yeah, it was. That's a, that. I mean, like yeah, when I do like the kind of like what I would call an autobiography. That will be like the yeah, definitely like second second phase. Welcome to Radio Primavera Sound. We have uh, with us Trevor Miller, a screenwriter, author and playwright whose fabulous 1989 book Trip City is getting reissued by Velocity Press. How are you doing, Trevor? I'm good, thanks, Ben. How are you? I'm good. It's lovely, lovely to speak to you. I finished your book uh, a couple of days ago. I think I'm still recovering. Christ, you actually read it. Because normally <laughs> when I do these, no one's ever read anything. <laughs> I've read it. I've read it. Well... <laughs> And I was amazed to see, sorry, this is really boring, but I was amazed to see that there was a place in it called Cardew Villas as well, because like, my name doesn't turn up on anything. That was great. Uh, do, do you want me to say what I, again, it's a long time ago. It, it's, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's all based on real places. And uh, some of the names have been changed to uh, protect the innocent and, uh, not have the guilty chase after me. Although one person for many, many decades who recognized himself in the story did kind of chase after me. And even now, uh, when on the very odd occasion I see him in the UK, he still talks about it. So uh, you can't always make uh, everybody happy when you, uh, when you write them into a story. Well, I've got to say, no one really comes out of out of the book uh, looking particularly positive. There's no, there's... no. Well, no, because these were lots of these guys were uh, kind of villainous men that I knew in and around the nightclub business uh, thirty odd years ago. So, and and you know, it was. Uh, I suppose when you're young, you write things and uh, see how dark the world is. And then as you get a bit older, you maybe think that uh, you want to depict slightly more hopeful stories. Although I don't think Trip City is a hopeless story. I think, in my mind, it always ended like uh, the end of Trading Places, where, you know, the, uh, the, the bad people sort of got their just desserts a bit like the uh the duke brothers <laughs> who lost everything so yeah yeah that's my version of the ending of it I, again i don't know i can't speak for how anyone else might see it especially 30 years later but there you go one one interesting thing about trip city was it's it was being called the first acid house novel is that something yes no i never agree with that that was something, I mean, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, firstly, I wrote the book 
towards the end of uh, 1989 or early end of 88, early in 89. So, you know, it was something that somebody wrote in a review and then it got kind of circulated and then years later it, you know, was a thing that everybody repeated. But is it really about Acid House? Not especially, because again, if if I wanted to write a book about Acid House, I would have wrote a book about ecstasy and I would have wrote about different things. I, in my own sort of a tragic, youthful version of it, I suppose, I I wanted to write uh, a a modern day version of uh, the Thirty Nine Steps or or some kind of a classic adventure novel. And then also, I suppose, <coughs> within that, uh, I'd watched a lot of kind of 70s science fiction movies, and uh, I wanted to write something, I suppose, like, I don't know whether you've seen Soylent Green, which is an old movie with Charlton Heston, um, where this kind of, uh, you know, in this post-apocalyptic, version of uh of the united states the food sources are dried up so they're supposedly eating eating this uh uh semi-man-made food that's allegedly made out of plankton but as it turns out you know at the end of the movie charlton heston shouts soylent green as people so um i guess where the drug in the book comes from is the reason it's green is because of Soylent Green, I guess. And then also at the time in the late 80s, um, London was so replete with so many different designer drugs beyond ecstasy. I mean, there was one of the things that springs to my most was a thing called M25. And uh, which was some other hideous concoction that I don't know who had made it, but it was like, you know, MDMA and all sorts of other things in it. But I remember one dude we knew had taken some of that and literally he was so off his ass that we had to drive him to the hospital with a blanket over his head because anything he would see would drive him completely mad and send him screaming. So I suppose after some experiences of that and many experiences of uh, MDMA and coke and acid and all sorts of things, I, I wanted to make my own thing, my own designer drug. And, and so for that very thing alone, I, I, I think maybe to call it the acid house is a, a slight misnomer, although, you know, as you know, especially in the 21st century, Ben, things are sold on the tagline. So I think, you know, not wanting to toot my own horn here, I think not only is the Acid House novel not the best description of it, I think it does it a tiny uh, disservice because I think it's a, it's, it's got a lot more... Um, cultural resonance than just that but that's that's me so obviously i would say that well 
I was going to say the Acid House novel is a very good tagline. But when I was reading it, I found something almost like almost anti-Acid House because like the, the, the design drug you invent FX is very yes. isn't it? It's like it's it's sent to sort of people who are meant to be, you know, the the top of what Well, yeah, I mean I, I again, you know, because it's not about MDMA and it is a work of fiction and almost a work of fantasy, yes, the the venues and the things in it are actually a little bit pre-acid house because obviously, you know, I I went to London in 1984 and my involvement in nightclubs goes from uh, that point until like 93. So nine, nine nearly, uh, yeah, nine years. And uh, my experience was uh I, I mean again by the time the book comes out acid house is in full swing in the uk but um the book's written sort of just before that so yeah i i know is it elitist i mean yeah maybe um but i always think that the idea that uh nightclubs or whatever elitist or not is another misnomer just because I always felt that as a blue collar person in the UK the great thing about any kind of nightclub was um, the UK steeped in a class system that unfortunately has come back worse than ever in its worst possible forms I mean look at who's in charge of the country now a bunch of old Etonians. I mean, it's like become full circle to since to, as if it's the 1970s again. But um, I think the great thing always for me about nightclubs, especially where I was from in the north, was that it in the club, it, you didn't have to be posh to be in the club. You didn't have to be posh to be in charge of the club. So elitist not necessarily i was when i hear that term to be honest with you i always think that it was people who were never understood the style and fashion component of nightclubs which also existed in um acid house because even though people say things like oh well you know the the drugs and the house music were great levelers the guys who came from the terraces also adopted the look of the club and vice versa. So is that elitist? Not necessarily, anyway. That's my two cents. I, was, I wanted to ask, like, what was, what was, did you have an intention writing the book? Like something you wanted to document or was it more of, of an escape for you? Like an escape into writing? It was all, it was really kind of a, a very chance thing. I mean, um, I ran into somebody who was starting a publishing company with Brian Aldis, and they were trying to put together a book of short stories. And I just blagged them into writing something longer. And, and they said, uh, you know, if I could write up a few chapters. I, I didn't think... I don't think they thought I would deliver anything, and I didn't. 
uh, they obviously saw something in it and saw that if I could indeed extend this into, you know, tens of thousands of words, that it, it would be a thing. And um, so was it an escape? Yeah, every, you know, everything for me to get away from my, where I came from was sort of uh, designed and hopefully was would be an escape but i don't know uh did i want to document anything i i know i mean again if you think back uh to 1988 1989 there was no irvine welsh there was nothing like that there was all there'd been been like novels about nightclubs or soho or london had been colin mckinnis in the in the late 60s and early 70s um uh, that Robert Elms hadn't written his book by then, or maybe maybe he was writing it, and but there hadn't been anything written about that kind of thing. There hadn't been, uh, apart from maybe again beyond um, Colin McInnes. If you look at those uh, books, I can't remember the name. Who wrote like Skinhead and Swadehead in the seventies? There was youth culture books like that, but there hadn't been anything like this. So it's not like I was thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to do that and there's going to be an audience or someone's going to be interested in this. You know, and at the time, I, I mean, again, being really honest, at the time, I'm sure I was quite egomaniacal and unpleasant. <laughs> and uh, I also remember being vilified by a number of... Uh, people who wrote about me and wrote about the book and either didn't like it or, you know, thought I was a bit of a cock or whatever. But um, I suppose it was ironic because in those days I was a bit more naive and I didn't realise that, um, A, I was being a cock and uh, B, that, that people could be... Uh, quite unpleasant about this kind of thing if they didn't think it was all that and the irony was there was nothing to compare it to so they could all very well say it wasn't all that and it should have been this or it should have been that but there was no it's not like now where people are like oh Irvine Welsh is the gold standard there was none of that I mean you know Trip City came out in 1989 as far as I know the first day of my Welsh book is not for five, six years later. Um, so, yeah, anyway. It's apparently a fan of the book, right? Uh, I, think I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think that uh, we never have a... He, I, I mean, the, the easy answer to that would be yes. The honest answer is I don't really know, but by my recollection when we did some live shows at the Edinburgh Festival based around it, he did come to a number of those. But, you know, again, that's 30 odd years ago, so I'm not, you know, I'm not sure of the exactitude of it. And uh, he's never really mentioned Trip City. I've never seen him talk about it anywhere, which is ironic. But his, his partner, who we write scripts with, a guy called Dean Cavanaugh, who I have spoke to a number of times, I know that Dean is a fan, and Dean always thought it was good. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. 
I mean, I, I think he's fair play to him. I mean, he's, uh, he's got a massive career and uh, he's obviously internationally famous and uh, depicted a very particular thing and time. Uh, I'm not sure it's a, an apples to apples comparison. And I also think he's a little bit older than I am. So it would be his worldview would be sort of different than mine. And I think he's sort of a, a football type of dude. And I was never, I never followed the football. So uh, there you go. Some of the best writing in the book, um, I thought, was the uh, scenes uh, where the characters are taking FX, which is this fictional designer drug. Um, and they basically completely lose it. But there's still reality there somewhere, if you see what I mean. So you can sort of tell what's going on. And that strikes me as being incredibly well written. Um, Thank you. Was it very hard to write that? No, because that is, um, I suppose, um, as I became more of a seeker in my life, because I did... I was <laughs> I was a Buddhist chanting Namihorengakel for some years. I was uh, when I worked on a thing here with Siobhan Fahey from uh, Shakespeare's sister. She got me into doing Kundalini yoga five times a week, and now I do transcendent, transcendental meditation. Um, and those passages in the book are sort of just a. I suppose a stream of consciousness thing where I wanted to try and give the idea of uh, to write down what it's like to move through time and space and uh, different uh, conceptual visions and versions of reality. And I think some of those bits, I hope they still work really well because then again, they're not like, uh, I, I suppose maybe they're a bit like Carlos Castaneda and maybe they're a bit like uh, the films of Alejandro Jodorowsky, but I've not read many things that read exactly like them. In fact, I've not read anything that reads I made up because I wanted to try and give regular folks maybe an idea of what it's like to do... Uh, you know, proper mind-expanding drugs. Um. Trip City um, has a soundtrack EP from a guy called Gerald, um, yes. which is getting reissued with with the book. It was a it was a tape at the time, cassette at the time. Um, I asked Gerald about this, but how how did it come out? Did you know each other from from Manchester? Or no, no. Here's the irony: is that um, I think it was. Uh, I think it was the person who was doing the PR on the book in the end who suggested him. But again, it's this it's 30 odd years ago and it was him being suggested was through a number of different conversations. And I just think he, again, I can't speak for him, but, I think he liked the idea of it and, and a phrase that he did use in one of the interviews we did the other week, it was, it was revolutionary to have this idea of what in those days people call multimedia. Multimedia was a thing and the idea that you would have text and music 
I think that sort of tickled his fancy. But the irony is what I found out again in an interview that we did together last week was that my father had a rock steady and blue beat record shop in Moss Side in Manchester from like 1958 through the early 70s. And uh, it was on a street called Great Western Street. And what I found out last week was that Gerald Simpson's father lived on Great Western Street, so he told me. So we worked out uh, that his dad must have gone in my dad's record shop. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is we've known each other for 30 odd years and we've never, ever had that conversation until last week. So did I know him? No, but I moved in some of the same circles and as luck would have it, um, there was a bunch of other people sort of I knew from the nightclub business who were friends of his from that era. Uh, so, but did I know him then? No, not until we did this together. So, yeah. I mean, you've talked of it, well, Gerald talked of it as being multimedia. Um, how do you see the music and the words going together? Like, should you listen to the music while you read, do you think? No, it was, again, people said at the time, Many, many strange and ludicrous things. Uh, a one point one person wrote, "The book is written in four four time." I don't know how you would do that, and that uh, I think four four time is Wall's time. So I, I don't know what that means. Uh, and then other people said, "You know, read the uh, thing and listen to the music." I, I would find that horrifically distracting myself. Uh, what I always thought of it as is this, is that um, when I write, I do a couple of things that I've always sort of done. And one of them always was, if I'm writing a particular thing, I decide on a piece of music or an album. And every time I start writing, and I still do it now, although not as religiously as I used to, I used to put on this album and listen to it uh, any particular piece of music uh, to get me in the groove of writing a particular kind of thing or about a particular kind of thing. So in my estimation, the, uh, the music, you don't necessarily listen to it at the same time, but you listen to it after or before you're reading about, you know, reading the book or whatever. And it just gives you a, a, a sense of time and place and sets you in a cultural fabric of the nightclubs of the era and nightclubs in general, that I think um, there's no other way to feel like you're in a nightclub apart from hearing the music, really. So are you supposed to read it at the same time? Not necessarily, but it, 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 it's, uh, it's much the same as maybe when you listen to you know, an opera and then later on, uh, you look at the translation of the uh, libretto of the words in English, so you maybe understand it more. This is maybe something like that, where it's another way for people to get a sense of time and place. So, I thought, and again, I mentioned this to Gerald, I thought that uh, FX, the track he made, um, did a really good job of 
sort of recreating that that slightly well surreal feel that you get the, you get from the writing when you're writing those scenes. Do you do you agree with that? I think I think the tracks um, are. I think Gerald Simpson is uh, operating at his best moments at a weird sort of genius level, not just like a dude who makes, um, you know, dance music, but someone who makes this tremendous uh, operatic uh, um, atmospheric soundtrack music like you would have on a film. And I, I think what's amazing about that particular track is all the different cultural references I hear in it. Uh, you know, I hear everything from, you know, the Roadrunner cartoon to um, uh, other sorts of things from TV and movies and then just this great sort of urban uh, and urbane backbeat to it. So, yeah, I would totally agree with you. I mean, and in some of the other tracks, he's got like Gregorian chants and kind of... Uh, you know, weird kind of things from like Latin hip hop, and uh, so yeah, I, I I I'm shocked that over the years he hasn't done more soundtrack for things because I think he uh, he's terrific at doing that, and uh, you, uh, I mean, I I would uh, I would say that apart from maybe Moby, who's had you know, more mainstream success. I don't know of anyone who crosses genres and styles as much as him and is that kind of uh, artist. Yes, powered by Seth.